We'll be in Mark chapter 3 this evening as we look into uh, another encounter Jesus had with um, needy people and with uh, some who were opposing him in in a place that they frequently had conflicts, and that was in the synagogue on a day that they took issue with on the Sabbath. So that's Mark chapter 3. Let's stand together, please. So good to see you this evening, and let's uh, read, read beginning in verse 1, then we'll have prayer. The Bible says, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. You know, I, I sometimes wonder if the people who were there in that service understood some of the dynamics that were going on. People who assembled, it was the Jewish community, they assembled on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day, they met in the synagogue, they met there for scripture reading and prayer and singing the Psalms. Uh, but while they were doing that, there's a group of people that are just their eyes are riveted on Jesus. I would like to hope that if I was lived in that day, my eyes would be riveted on Jesus, but not for the purpose that theirs were. They were watching him. The Bible says in verse uh, 2 that they might accuse him. Verse 3, and he saith unto the man, this man, verse 1 tells us, had a withered hand, And he, Jesus, saith unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. In other words, present yourself. Stand forth in the midst here. And then when this man with the withered hand came forward, Jesus said to his critics, He saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? To save life or to kill? He asked them a question. But they didn't know how to answer, and it says, but they held their peace. And when he looked round about on them with anger, I have those words underlined in my Bible. You don't see Jesus saying that about Jesus too often, but you find it here. He looked upon them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. He saith unto them, unto the man, he said unto the man, stretch forth thine hand, <laughs> and he stretched it out. And his hand was restored whole as the other. Isn't that amazing? And the Pharisees went forth and straightway encouraged everybody to follow Jesus. Not exactly. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him. How they might destroy him. Interesting. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. We pray that you'd bless this evening as we study. Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, we're not just here out of obligation. We're here, Lord, because we love you and we love your people and we love your word. and We love the assembly that we can sing praises to you and fellowship together. We pray this evening that as we study the Bible that our hearts would be encouraged and would be helped and you'd give us what we need from the Word of God tonight. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
You know, there's several things, and we're only in the third chapter, the beginning of the third chapter of Mark's gospel, but several things are obvious about the what we would call the early part of Jesus' ministry. Number one, he frequented the synagogues often, and of course we see that same pattern with Paul and the others who were going into the synagogues. The Jews were there to just really to reason with them from the scriptures, from the Old Testament writings about who Christ was. And we see that he healed people when he was there, and he did it on the Sabbath day. We also notice Jesus was not, I don't think Jesus was doing this just to, um, to embarrass these people or these people who had an issue with what he was doing. But he did it, he did it in, a, in an authoritative way to expose, really to confront the traditions of the religious hypocrites. I mean, he was in their face about it. When they, because they, he knew they didn't like what he was doing. He knew that they didn't like the fact that he was doing it on the Sabbath day. And, and as we talked um, a couple of weeks ago, and some of you are normally in the, not in the morning service because you're in children's church and stuff, but we talked about the occasion just prior to this when Jesus really talked about this. They, they were eating corn on that day, on the Sabbath day. And Jesus, Jesus confronted them about that and the fact that what... What he was doing was against their tradition, but it wasn't against the word of God. It wasn't against the law. And so because of all the things he's doing, he became the target of these religious elitist people. And um, so, he's, so here we find him again. He was, in the, he was in a synagogue in chapter 2. In verse 3, we find him again. It says he entered again into the synagogue. Now, that might make us think, well, he entered in the same synagogue and just went back for more. But Luke 6, when he records this, he said it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And so that's Jesus' primary um, MO. He goes into the synagogue, and he doesn't just go to heal. He goes to teach the Word of God. So we find here in chapter 3 and verse 1, a man with a withered hand. A man with a hand that was shriveled up. His hand was wasting away. His hand was useless to him. And as, you know, again, we're just kind of putting this all together. The people who followed Jesus around had already, I think, noticed Jesus, but they'd already noticed this man with his withered hand. And so they're watching him. They're kind of observing to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could accuse him. Uh, the word accused there is just like we would think of it. It's to charge someone with an offense. They were going to charge him for breaking their law. They lived for this, to try to find some fault with Jesus. And we've said this so many times already in just two chapters in Mark, and we'll find it again. But that's not a good place to be, you know, where your purpose in life is to find fault with people. That's not a. That's not really what the Christian life is to be about. So Jesus, as we said earlier, he calls this man forward in verse 3, tells him to stand forth, and then begins to address the critics. He said to the, he said to the man, stand forth, and then he said, verse 4, he said to them, to these, to these who are there to observe, is it lawful, verse 4, to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? Is it, is it lawful? To save life or to kill. He wants to challenge their thinking about the appropriateness of what he's doing. And they were accusing him of breaking the law. And he says, here's the very practical question. Can we do good on the Sabbath day? Can we save lives on the Sabbath day? And I just want to 
remind us what Jesus said at the end of chapter 2. And this was the teaching when these men uh, were eating the, eating the grain and the Pharisees took issue with it. But look in Mark chapter 2 and verse 27. And he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The purpose of the day of rest was a day for man, a day for a man to be refreshed, a day for men to rest. The Sabbath was made for men. It, it wasn't that God made men for the Sabbath. And that's the way these Jewish, these Jewish people had become. They had all of these laws, and we, we went through some of the ridiculous laws that they had that, that, that were not in the Bible about the Sabbath day. Like, could you, could you eat an egg that was laid on the Sabbath day because it took work for the hen to lay the egg. Now that's the kind of laws that they were, they were accustomed to and they were meticulous about, but that's not God's law. We ought to stand true for God's law, but these were just the traditions of men. And Jesus was dealing with their, their tradition. Basically what he's saying, your tradition means more to you than helping people, than getting people's needs met. And so, verse 28 then of chapter 2 says, Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now, here we're back in chapter 3, and Jesus says, asks them about, is it okay to do good on the Sabbath day? I love looking at the Gospels uh, together. Like Mark talks about this, but also Luke talks about this, and Matthew talks about this. And I'm not going to turn to it with you, but Matthew included these words when he wrote about what we're reading here in Mark chapter 3. Matthew said this, And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you, he's saying to these critics, that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into the pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? So in teaching this about is it good, to, is it okay to do good on the Sabbath day, he said, which one of you, if you had a sheep and it fell into a pit, it fell down into this pit on a Sabbath day, are you just going to leave it there to the next day or are you going to reach down and pick it out? And the obvious answer, they knew what the answer was. Sure they would. It's okay with helping a sheep. It's just not okay with helping a man with a withered hand. And when you really look at it, to me, it seems like that they weren't, in, they weren't just against what Jesus was doing, they were against Jesus. They were against what Jesus, who Jesus claimed to be. They were against that. And uh, I said this in another sermon about this, but it's like we see in, we see in the news now, it's like um, the critics have someone that's a suspect, they're just looking for some kind of crime they can put on him. And that's the way they were with him. They hated Jesus, and they're just looking for something they can accuse him of. And so Jesus asked in Matthew, what would you do? And then Jesus asked this question in Matthew. How much then is a man better than a sheep? You'd help your sheep, but you're criticizing me for helping this man. Wherefore, in Matthew, he says, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. And as we said earlier, the latter part of verse 4, when Jesus presented this reasoning to them, they, did, they didn't have an answer. They held their peace. And so, you can feel, I can just feel the tension in this room, in this assembly. We've been in some ancient, in the, in the ruins of ancient 
synagogues in uh, Israel, and one particularly in Capernaum. And it would be about maybe less than half the size of this room. It's not like a big, big room because they had synagogues all over Israel. Uh, So it's a small place. And so Jesus then in verse 5, he looked round about on them. He gave them an eye. He gave them this eye. Have you ever had someone just kind of give you, you know, it's kind of the eye that I give to people when they're talking during church or whatever. It's kind of that kind of, he gave them this eye. And the Bible says he did, he looked at them with anger. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had people that I did not want to be mad at me, right? And one of those, one of those persons was my dad. I never wanted my dad to be mad at me. I didn't want him to be angry with me. Some people just don't want angry with you. But imagine Jesus being angry with you. Imagine that, having Jesus look at you and you know he is some kind of upset. And, and why was he so upset? Why was, think about this young person. Why was he so worked up about this? Because these people were more interested in their traditions than they were people that were hurting. They cared more for their livestock than they cared for people. And so what did Jesus do? He wasn't intimidated by them. The Bible says, he said to the man in verse five, stretch forth your hand. Thine hand. And he stretched it forth. And Jesus healed this man. He knew what was going to happen. He healed this man. And I know I'm just kind of going back over the, uh, the, the summary of it. But his, his hand was healed and restored just like the other one was. The last part of verse 5. And this group of people, the Pharisees, it says in verse 6, went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians. Now, the, we know about the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. These are all religious groups, the Pharisees and Sadducees. The scribes are like lawyers, doctors of the law, experts on the, on the Old Testament law. But Herodians you see less often. They're not, that's not even a religious group. Herodians were, were Jewish people. And think about this, Herodians. They were Jewish people who were sympathetic with King Herod, which is, which is a very, it's, it's very uh, unusual, not typical for Jewish people to like King Herod. Herodians were supporters of King Herod. Most Jews despise Herod. These Herodians, though, they, were, they supported King Herod. So you got two, two groups of people here. One of them is the Pharisees, verse 6 says, and they're these uh, religious zealots that are not just championing the law, but their own tradition really was trumping the law. We'll get to that further in Mark's gospel in some weeks. And then you got these Herodians that they have nothing in common with. But what are they doing? They're consulting together, verse 6, they're getting counsel with the Herodians against him. In spite of their differences, they're uniting in hatred for Jesus. And every time I read something like that, I think about what I've seen sometimes in my life. I've seen people who did not like each other, but they united with each other to go and get someone they liked less than each other. Does that make sense to you? We've seen it happen. And this is a very revealing thing about how cruel religion could be. 
We're not talking about true Christianity. We're talking about religion, the religion of men. It can be very cruel. And you have this confederation of these groups conspiring to destroy Jesus Christ. And so that's what's going on. And now I want to focus on some things that are said in verse 5 and really apply this to our own lives. In verse 5 it says, we looked round about on them with anger. It says, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. When Jesus looked at them, he was angry, but it wasn't like an anger where he was um, hatred toward them. It was an anger because of his sadness about what was taking place. He was grieved. The word grieve means to be sorrowful with someone. We just attended a funeral service uh, a week ago, and so we're very familiar with what grief looks like. Family members who grieve, having sorrow for a loved ones. And this is something that a lot of people, I think, fail to th- to process is this attribute of God to grieve. As a matter of fact, it tells us in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, it says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, where until you're sealed until the day of redemption. Don't grieve. Now, young person, think about this. You, you, may, you may have grieved when you've lost a loved one. Some of you may have grieved when you lost a pet, and this, I'm not minimizing that. It's real for for some people, you feel sorry, you feel, but, but keep this in mind. God, the God who made us in his own image, God can grieve. God can be sad about things. And what does God get sad about? Here we find Jesus, and it says in verse 5, he was grieved. He was, he was saddened because of, notice this, the hardness of their hearts. He was grieved Because their hearts were hard. Right? That's what the Bible says. Now we know when he talks about the heart of man, he's not talking about your heart that pumps your blood. He's talking about the center of your being. The heart is the center of your very being. It's the the seat of your affections, your priorities, your motives. It's the very center of your life. And Jesus, as Jesus looked around this crowd, here's, here's a crowd of people. They've assembled in, on the seventh day, the day of Jewish worship. They've assembled in the, the synagogue, a place where they would meet. There's a man there who has a withered hand, who's troubled, who has a physical need, who has, he has need of help. And Jesus, by the grace of God and the power of God, he miraculously heals this person And instead of people, you know, being happy or rejoicing in what's happening, these people are mad. And Jesus is saddened by that. He was saddened at the hardness of their heart. They were so hardened that they were were upset that this man had been healed. Their hearts were so hardened that they didn't even care about this hurting man. They cared more about their traditions and their rules than they cared about people. And when I think about this, I'm thinking, you know, I would sure, I would sure um, not want Jesus to look at us when we worship the Lord and be grieved for the hardness of our hearts. The hardness of our hearts. The word hardness there is defined as callous. It means to be uh, blunted. It's not 
sharp. It has a, it's a dullness of perception. People's hearts become hard. They, they become desensitized, really, to spiritual things. And Jesus, what does Jesus think about that? I, I, think, I don't think it's outside the realm of, of reality, poss- of, 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 some, of probability, that people might think, you know, I don't really, I'm not really seriously interested in the things of God. I mean, I don't, I don't really take the gospel's songs seriously, but I don't really think God is all that interested. I think people think like that. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus is interested. Because Jesus, Jesus has something better for us than our hearts to be hardened. And so he's saddened in his heart over this. The hardness of their hearts grieved Jesus. Now I want you to think about this before we move on. And think about your own life. Not only think about where you are right now spiritually, but think about where you've been over the course of your spiritual journey. And it may very well be that you can think that uh, there was a time in your life when your heart was more tender, you know, more, more sensitive, more responsive uh, to God in your life. You know what I'm saying? But our hearts get hardened. So it's, things don't really affect us. You know, things don't really, things don't really connect with us. I was reading today a passage in Ezekiel. Now, this is about Israel. It's about, it's about these very people, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. But this is what Ezekiel said about Israel. Please listen to these words. Ezekiel says, and, I, and this is God speaking, first person. And I will give them, um, I will give unto them a, I put a new spirit within them. I'll take the stony heart out of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. God says, I'm going, to take, I'm going to take away their stony heart, their hardened heart. And I'm going to give them a, a pliable heart, a heart of flesh. And it goes on to say in that passage, the next verse, that they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Now stay with me tonight. Um, the Jewish people had such an opportunity and such an advantage. They had a relationship with God that was unique to any other people that ever lived. God committed his own presence to their assembly. We were just reading about this, the tabernacle, and how when the tabernacle was, const- was constructed, it was erected, all the things were there. God's presence could be seen there. The presence of Almighty God. I think about that. And God gave them his presence, but he also gave them the oracles of God. He gave them his word. They had the word of God. And they had the presence of God. And they had God's, God's power available. And God worked miracles for them. Unbelievable miracles. I mean, divided bodies of water. Fed them with manna. So many hundreds and hundreds of thousands, millions of people fed them every day. Every day with manna. It's it's amazing, isn't it? What God did for these people. And you know what they did? Their hearts became hardened. They got accustomed to it. They, 
they sort of become ho-hum about the relationship they had with God. And they were not as responsive to God. And God sent prophets, and, and they would ignore those prophets. They would uh, disregard their messages. They would not take it personally. Matter of fact, they would persecute them, even kill them. These people that had this special relationship with God, and what happened to them? Their hearts became hard. Their hearts became hardened. And I'm, you know, I say that about Jews because it was a part of their history. But God said to Ezekiel, "I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to take out that stony heart. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh." But I also see the same things happen in believers' life, people who profess to know the Lord. How our hearts become hardened. And God is grieved. Jesus is grieved when our hearts are not where they need to be. Um, I think I'll come back to Mark chapter 3 before we wrap this up. But turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Hebrews. And here again is a testimony concerning Israel but with application to our own lives. Go, go with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. You know, one thing having only one useful arm does for me, it just makes me appreciate how people deal with disabilities and things, you know. I mean, I've, it's kind of an, an inconvenience just to have one arm, but I don't have to feed myself with my feet. You know what I'm saying? And some people do. So it's not, it's, when you think about it like that, it's really not all that bad. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. If you'd look there with me, please. He, we're talking about how hearts can become hardened. Hebrews 3, 7 says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today... If you'll hear his voice, now that's going to be mentioned again, emphasis on today. Today, if you'll hear his voice, comma, verse 8 says, harden not your hearts. Now let me tell you one of the things that happens when we don't respond to God today. If we say no to God today, our heart gets a little harder. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but many of us know how it happens because we've seen it happen. And so then it becomes easier the next time to say no. The next time to say no. So he says, today, today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. He's talking about Israel when they provoke God in the day of temptation, the testing in the wilderness. He's talking about when they decided we're not going to go into the promised land. We're going to, they, remember they sent the spies in there and hopefully you remember the story and they came back and Ten of them had a very negative report. Two of them, Josh and Caleb, had glowing reports and reports of faith. But they decided not to go in. And he says in verse 9, When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Look in verse 10, the word he used. Wherefore I was, what? Grieved. That's the same thing Jesus said about Jesus. He was grieved. For the hardness of their hearts. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation. And said they do always err in their heart. And they've not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. They're not going to go in and occupy Canaan. They're going to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. 
Now notice what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 12. Take heed, brethren. He's not talking about the Jewish Old Testament Jews now. He's not talking about Israel of the Old Testament. He's talking about people who lived in his day. Believers, brethren. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now that verse is not just talking about unbelief like rejecting Christ as your Savior, departing from the living God like you're going to turn away from God. These Jews, what, what did they do? They had an opportunity to obey God, go in the promised land, believe the promises of God, believe in the ability of God. They had that opportunity, but they said no. And yet that's what he said, brethren, you need to be careful that the same thing doesn't happen to you. An evil heart of unbelief. Uh, disbelieving God, failing to believe God, is evil. It may, be, it may be customary, but it's evil. When God says do this, and we say I'm not going to do that, then that's evil. It's an evil heart of unbelief, and it's a departure from, from God. And that's what, look in verse 13. We're going to continue to go through this verse by verse. He says, but exhort one another daily. Every day, encourage each other what is called today. Remember how this passage started off today, if you'll hear his voice? Here's a big mistake, young person. People who say, I'm going to do what, I'm going to get right with God, I'm going to get serious about God someday. Procrastination is one thing that hardens your heart, just postponing, doing what you know you ought to do. So he says, exhort one another daily, verse 13, while it's called today, lest any of you be what? Hardened. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is very deceitful. And it hard, when we sin, when we procrastinate, when we postpone doing what we ought to do, our heart gets harder. And maybe you've never experienced this, but a lot of people have. Where they'll sit in a church service where at one time they heard the same Bible preached, the same songs sung, and those song, they were tender to those songs. Those songs moved them. Those songs meant something to them. They were actually engaged spiritually and even emotionally, if you want to say that, to what's taking place. But now they can sit in the same service with the same songs and the same message, and it doesn't really impact them at all. The, the message hadn't changed. The music hadn't changed. You know what's happened? Their heart is just becoming harder. And that's why he says... Exhort each other daily, lest any of you be hardened, in verse 13, through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. If you're really saved, you will endure, you will hold on to that faith, you will, you will maintain that position. Verse 15, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, and some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? He was grieved. They didn't, ob they didn't believe him. They didn't obey him. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And so the warning to me when I read this passage in Mark chapter 3, when Jesus is grieved 
Because of the hardness of their hearts, they had the law, they had the, the word of God, they knew, they knew the law, and yet their, their heart was just callous. I don't just read that and say, you know, shame on them. I read it and say, shame on us if we don't have the same kind of tendencies. Hearts, hearts can become hardened. Now I want you to think about this this evening because I just want to kind of zero in on this for a few minutes before we wrap this up. Could it not be sometimes that our hearts can be hardened? You know, let me just give you some indicators that maybe a heart is becoming hardened. When nothing moves it, when nothing moves a person's heart, to me it's an indication that their heart has become hardened. Nothing really moves them spiritually. They're not, they, they don't, they're not sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know what it's like when you're reading your Bible or maybe you're sitting in a service like this, you're hearing the Bible preached, and while, while you're listening to a human voice who's declaring the Word of God, you know that God is speaking to your heart as well, that God is, commun- God is dealing with your heart. Most people know what that's about. But when a person is no longer sensitive to the Spirit of God speaking to their heart, their heart may be getting harder. When they're not convicted by the truths of God's Word, when God's word, word doesn't affect them, impact them. I think, I think when a person is not concerned about their own spiritual indifference, their hearts are becoming hard. Think with me for a moment. Imagine a person who gets saved, really gets born again by the grace of God. Their sins are forgiven. Their life is changed. Their destiny is changed. Their purpose in life is changed. And they love going to church and they love singing the songs of Zion and they want to know more about God. But imagine that same person fast forward five years, 10 years, 20 years, and they sit in church and nothing really moves them. I don't ever want that to ever happen to me, right? I don't want that to ever happen to me. But, but reading what we read, Jesus is using the Jews to encourage us not to let that happen. Remember the parable of the sower? The sower went forth to sow and he sowed the seed and some fell about wayside and the, the fowls of the earth came and fowls of the air came and took it away and it never, they never really received it. But some fell on stony ground. The seed falls on a heart that's stony. You know what that is? It's hardened. It's crusted. And some fell in cluttered, the thorns of this world and the cares of riches, the seed, all this worldly thinking, this carnal thinking, and it just chokes out the seed. The seed never has a chance to grow. And that's where a lot of people are, and, and, the, and, and most of those people aren't saved. They're just not born again. The seed never has a chance to really grow in their life. But, but all of us are, are encouraged to be careful about our hearts becoming hardened. And what causes that to happen? A lot of people have never been saved. They've truly never been born again. Um, but sometimes it's because sins are not confessed. Because we allow things in our life that are not right. And we continue to allow them in our life unconfessed, unrepented of. Sometimes it's because of pride, resistance. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to yield but sometimes it's because of disobedience. That's what Hebrews 
says, he says, you can be hardened through the deceitfulness of your sin. Resisting God. Resisting surrender. Resisting the call, the command, the conviction of God. I said this earlier, I want to say it again. The more you say, the more a person says no to truth, the easier it becomes to say no. About any truth. Could be truth about giving, truth about faithful attendance, truth about witnessing, the truth about the word of God. Every time you say no, it becomes easier for you to say no the next time. And what's happening, it's not that, it's not that you're enlightened about God's will, it's that your heart's becoming hardened. And so this ought to be a warning to me, it is to us. We're the custodians of our heart, right? We are. Every one of us. The writer of, I love that verse in Proverbs, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. It's our responsibility to keep our heart from hardening. Jesus looked at these people and he was grieved because of the hardness of their heart. You know who allows our hearts to become hardened? We do. And a person might say, yeah, but I've gone through all these adversities, these trials. Let me tell you something. Disappointments and trials don't harden our heart. It's our response to those trials that hardens our heart. When we get bitter, when we get unforgiving, when we have jealousy or whatever, it hardens our heart. I would, I wouldn't want, I would hate to think tonight that my hardened heart would grieve Jesus, wouldn't you? That my hardened heart, the fact that I am not sensitive and tender and responsive, that it would sadden Jesus. Because he cares about the condition of our heart. So what is the answer? What would be the answer for these Jews in Mark chapter 3? What would be the answer for these, these people in Hebrews chapter 3? What would be the answer for us? How do you fix a hardened heart? How do you fix that? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a medical condition if you have hardening of the arteries. How do you fix a hardened heart? And I'm going to give you several words, but they all basically pertain to the same thing. I can't help, I'm not going to turn to it, but I can't help but think about the Old Testament prophet Hosea when he said, break up the fallow ground. In other words, you've got, you've got a heart that's not where it's supposed to be. We need to break. And how do we do that? I'm going to give you, first of all, I think humility. I think a, a good dose of humility would be in order. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. And the second one would be honesty. Honesty and transparency. Honest about the condition of our heart. Honesty about our, where we are spiritually. A third, word, a third thing would be confession. And you could put repentance with that. Repentant confession. Sometimes people, I think, have the idea, well, if I, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I know I'm not where I need to be, but I'm just trusting in, this, in a special song, you know, to do in my life what needs to be done. Or I'm, I'm trusting in, in this a powerful sermon just to shake me out of where I am. But you know what? God's the only one that can change a person's heart. And you know what God's looking for? He's looking for us to get serious about the condition of our heart. With confession, with repentance, with being transparent and honest, with humility. Another word you could throw in there is the word surrender. Surrender. You know, as I look back over my life, 
and I think most of us could do this, or at least many of us could. I can look back to times, especially uh, times right after we got saved, when my heart was changed. I, had a, I got a brand new heart. I mean, it was changed. The very day after I got saved, my heart was changed. My attitude about my responsibility, and I had a lot of growing to do, and I still have a lot of growing to do. But everything changed. The way I looked at family, the way I thought about life, it's the way I looked at life, the wildlife, the birds, the sunrise, everything changed. Of course, I was 21 years old, and I'd been living in sin for years. And I read through the New Testament just a few days, took my New Testament to my, when my lunchbox to work, and I just couldn't get enough of it. I loved it. And when I'd come to church and we'd sing, sometimes I'd just weep. Just weep that God would care about me, that God would love me, that God would save me. Now, I'm not saying this that way for everybody, but I, I'm not, it's just the way it was. It was, it was amazing. You know what? Because my heart was in such a state of surrender. But you know what happens? Over time, we get accustomed to stuff. We get accustomed to the songs and accustomed to the sermons. And we think, well, I've read that before. You know, and, and then if we're not careful, we can even become like the Pharisees coming to church. And just we're spending more time just looking around and seeing who's here and what they're wearing and what they're doing than we are what we're supposed to be doing with here. Like, we don't need it. Why do I need this? I mean, I'm, I'm here, okay, but why do I? And you know what? That just tells us how far we are spiritually from where we need to be. And yet that's where a lot of people are. And, and you know what? You know what? He, he looked and he was grieved. Jesus was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. I think it'd do us well to consider the condition of our heart. You ought to, you ought to think about that tonight. Is my heart responsive to truth? Is my heart soft? Is it tender? Is it, is it pliable to the promptings of the Spirit of God? It, you know, can you remember times when God would just nudge your heart and prompt you to witness to someone or to read some passage or to say something to someone and, and that become a way of life to you? Maybe you say, you know, I can't. it's been a long time since that happened. I don't think it's because God is done using us. I think sometimes our heart just becomes hardened, and we're not realizing it. It becomes easier to justify our sin, to ignore God's commands, to resist the tugging of the Spirit of God. And so when I read this passage in Mark chapter 3, and I, and I see Jesus grieved, grieved. At the hardness of their hearts. I wonder what Jesus sees when he looks into his churches today. Sometimes he's not grieved. At the hardness of our hearts. And I think that's where revival starts, really. Is really letting God have his way in our heart. Amen? Amen. And you may be here today and you're not saved. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and that's what you need more than anything in life. You need to be born again. And that's, it ha something happens in here. When you repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ, a change takes place in here because you receive him as Savior and Lord of your life.
And tonight you could get saved or you could at least talk to somebody about it. We'll be here to help you. Maybe tonight as a believer, someone who's saved, this is kind of a wake-up call from the Old Testament and the New Testament. A warning about what can happen if we don't take seriously our responsibility to keep our heart with all diligence. That's what Proverbs is, with all diligence. The devil is good at what he does. And one of the things he does and does well, he's, he sort of convinces people that they're okay and everybody else, really, everybody else really needs to get their act together, but, you know, I'm okay. Or if everybody else would just do what they need to do, then it would make my life better. But you know what? God puts personal responsibility on every one of us to keep our heart where it needs to be. Amen?